Hello everybody, welcome to the fourth episode of Love Unites Humanity, the Lost Under Heaven podcast. Today I'm with a dear friend of mine, Lewis. Um, do you want to say hello, Lewis, to the hello. people out there? Happy to be here with you <laughs> today. Um, I've known Lewis for many a year now. Um, we first met, at least this is how I remember Maybe we had met before, but the first time I was truly conscious of you was um, during the recording of the Wu Life record. We put a email out to the LIF <laughs> and um, to come and just hang out in the church as we were wrapping up the recording, and then we were going to do a, a, a concert there at the end. And uh, as I remember it, you were the only person that turned up. And I had sort of like a sort of a, a sense of surprise and excitement. You, more people turned up to the gig, <laughs> yeah. but to the actual just like offering of just coming down and seeing yeah. seeing what's happening. Um, and you'd come down from Newcastle. Yeah. And yeah, we, I guess we spoke. Everyone kind of got to know you a little bit. And yeah, from there... Obviously, I had many other things going around in that moment, so I wasn't like directly engaged. And uh, our friendship kind of grew over the years. I'd see you at, at shows. Yeah. Um, I remember very specifically, I guess, really coming to know you was at uh, Lost Under Heaven show in Newcastle. I think before that point, it was always just in the context of shows. And yeah. I'm always in quite a, a headspace of lots going on but exactly before a Newcastle show we met with you we had some food and we walked around a little bit and just and since since kind of getting to know you I've, I've always found a real interesting parallel in the way our lives of our inner life particularly has been developing really good conversation council um so become a a, a very kind of intimate and trusted close friend um, and with this album, you uh, put together the the beautiful uh, maze and uh, you know the design at the end. So, which we were, yeah, very. It was a very nice working relationship as well. So it's like our relationship has really over about a decade really um, blossomed into something very, yeah, very valued. So in, in terms of these kind of. Uh, kind of parallel lives in many ways in which we were living me being from the outside looking into the music and connecting with the um the narratives and stories and the lyrics of the music i could from the outside sense that there's something there's something in his experience and what he's singing about that represents something in my own or even perhaps articulates something in my own experience that i'm yet to find words for so mm. from the outside, I had a sense that this person almost feels brotherly to mm. me, mm. but he doesn't yet know it. <laughs> so, and of course, our meetings were um, interspersed by long periods of time between concerts and mm. the, the meetings, whilst very pleasant and always very warm, were always very brief. Mm. And of course, were usually post-show where there was probably, I could, I could sense there was a lot of intense energy mm. still inside so mm. it was always quite brief and almost quite surface level um yeah 
Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a beautiful and interesting experience I've had throughout my life of performing and meeting people through the act of putting my, you know, my creative endeavors out into the world is that camaraderie and that brotherly kind of, I've met many people and I think what's beautiful is that we've, our relationships like blossomed into a, a genuine you know, like dialogue, but I've had several really potentially profound conversations after shows, but I'm always, or in the context of shows performing, but I'm always in such a, I don't know if it's an empty state or a full state. It's like both at once. My head is, it's kind of exhaustion and adrenaline. So there's always like these moments of this kind of spark of intrigue and a feeling like if I lived in the same city as you, I would be, we'd be best friends. Unfortunately, I'm kind of passing through and you're in Toronto and I'm never going to see you again or for, you know, you know just as these uh, passing relationships come. Yeah. But I, I always, the relationship with you is the, and I, I, this is a, sort of a talking point that I had noted down was there was a, there was something in the transmission of what Wu life was that has sustained throughout the past decade or however long it's been more so since the record came out and it feels very sincere and real with the people that I meet that it affected and it's yeah affected touched kind of like ignited in a certain way um it's not it felt deeper in in a, in its way than just a sort of I really like the music and the sort of general presence of youthful rebellion that was sort of, you know, intrinsic to the to the yeah. impulse. But I, I would have to say the the sort of youthful rebellion, as you put it, that is often attributed to Wu Life at that time was never something that I connected with mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. What the music of Wu Life, how it affected me was there was some sense of a unfolding vast mysteriousness that I could sense within myself at the time I found Wu Life. So the time I found them, I was, I think I was around 17 years old, which at that time in my life, it was like a, and I think for a lot of people, it's a very much a, a transitional period of your life. You're stepping out of the known territory of your childhood and of your childhood experiences of being in school for the previous four or five years. And you're sort of stepping into kind of an unknown world. Um, things are sort of changing around you and mm -hmm. you, are being, you are being tested and tried in new ways. And at that sense, there's this kind of stepping out of the, the kind of secure walls of your home and your home community at that time and looking towards something that at this stage is unknowable. Mm. But the, you get a sense that something is drawing you out mm. and towards mm. something like a calling mm. towards something. And there was even bits of language in the Wu Life songs that would hint at this, this calling, this vastness, this mystery, this ultimately unknowable, but um, something that you sense within you as a, as a force that is at play in some mm. way. And I think it was on that level which I connected with it. And again, like I said before, it was almost like, the songs and not only the the vocals but actually the instruments too 
were managing to articulate something that was within me, but that I hadn't arrived at the words for. Mm. It reminds me often of um, in Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy. Um, there's a bit towards the end where Levin, the main character, he's having um, problems at his home life and he's on a farm mm. and he's standing in the garden outside of, his, outside of his farmhouse and there's been lots of turmoil and conflict in his life and he looks up at the, at the night sky, he gazes up at the stars and he says, um, he says to himself, he asks himself the question, what is it that disturbs me? Mm. And looking up at the stars, he realizes that although I don't yet have the words for it and I don't know the answer to that question, I get the sense that the resolution is already being prepared for me mm. in my soul or in mm. life in general. Mm. And it was that kind of sense of it was that kind of sense of looking out into a into a into the into the vast unknown of the world, but feeling that something in you was sustaining you mm. and drawing you carefully mm. out towards mm. it. And I would say real life was kind of the soundtrack to that <laughs> feeling for me, which is obviously why it became such a important part of my life mm. and why leaving Newcastle and traveling down to Manchester, usually overnight on a National Express coach by myself and then wandering around the streets at night waiting for the next bus home, mm -hmm. having no real money. Um, that's why I just felt it was almost like it wasn't a decision I made. I was drawn to it. I was mm. drawn back time and time again. Mm. And it, it had this, it had this transformational effect on, on my life and on, uh, even, even down to the, the, the visual side of it, the, the collage style of the artworks was something I then poured myself into at home. And that dictated what I went on to study in college and, in university yeah, so it yeah. had this shift had yeah. taken place and i think the music was the the music and the band in general was kind of my uh, supporting element of the foundation of what my life shifted on to mm. so an incredibly important uh de definitely transcended just music mm. just something that i was enjoying it had a lot more potency in my life than that i think th that yearning or longing or that mystery is essentially what me and you really bonded over or what I felt such a um, an interesting kind of mirror of my own unfoldment and experience reflected in you and in the conversations that we'd we'd have that there was like a, a shared which I come to you know it's, it's you know one in a one in a thousand people that I meet it's this inquiry, this mystery that it feels like they're being guided or led into the, into the mystery. Um, and is one of those things that is, I guess it, once, once that question has been asked in your own mind, you can't stop asking it or exploring it. You just, it's almost this impulse that you have no, um, control over it. it's just leading you leading you and that's certainly I didn't really have that objective articulation of it as that as that being what it is at the time if you know what I mean like yeah. during all the writing of Wu Life songs they came out of jams and playing and it's just sort of what came out 
I didn't really, I, I guess I did consider the lyrics that I was writing to some extent. I had a meta narrative and a thought of what I wanted it to be about in certain phrases, the go tell fire to the mountain had a, had a, a kind of conceptual underpinning, but a lot of it was just the, what came out in the jams and certain little phrases and things became as like the transmission of it. So it's only in later years and experience that I've, in a way I'm, when we did this LYF book, um, there was this strange like reflection and realization of how much of what my life has continued to be was present in seed form very potently all in all in the work of Wu life and and yeah and and how that seems to have in its way in its kind of like the uh, the humility of how it's engaged with others on a certain level that sort of stayed with them um but where, where was the question there was yeah the, that sense of yearning longing i think the youthful rebellion even there's such a like a cliched thing but of course the teenage experience for me and maybe this is the kind of quintessential from innocence to experience but was becoming more and more aware of the world and having a profound sense of not otherness necessarily but there was part of that which may be manifested in maybe a more unhealthy kind of lone wolf outsider mentality. Um, but just a, a rejection of established order as it was, and just a profound sense of the way that we are existing on planet earth is completely the inversion of, um, what felt as the way, even though I, also you had no sense of, of the way it was a, it was almost it was like known for its i understood it for its rejection rather than as having a ideal or something yeah. to actually orient towards yeah um so i think uh, my experience of that would be i would say not necessarily a rejection i would say it, it found itself quite differently within me in that going right back to early childhood i can remember the the sense and the feeling of certain moments where I felt a, a kind of like an opening up within my life, uh, which I, I think at the time I would probably just call them like moments of inspiration. I would say moments of inspiration. But looking back, you start to realize these, these moments where I feel this expanse and this kind of almost like guess some people would call it like almost outer body experience but where you feel like you leave behind the confines of your personality or your body and there's an opening up to something greater beyond it and it's hard to articulate but it's a sense and a feeling that you get in your body and it can sometimes only last for seconds mm -hmm. but looking back these these moments become some of the most valuable important moments of your life mm. and in a sense, they do become your your guides. Mm. They can't not. Um, the the profound effect in which they can have on you for and the lingering effect they can have on you for for months and even years after. They become almost guiding principles in 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 your life. And I think 
I guess to come back to the to the statement, my sense of connection to Wu life was certainly not a not a rejection of anything going on around me, but just a a desire to follow mm. to follow whatever that thing was, mm. which which I could not describe then, and not even sure if I can describe sure. now. Although, from from honoring that that sense, of course, that has led me to. Um, led me to certain certain interests and certain things I would I would read, and certain practices of meditation, for instance, which they attempt to describe it, but ultimately they are all pointing to something that I realize I've had experience of from being very young, mm. and it was kind of always there, present, mm. Mm. and it's sometimes this this really uh, funny sense of like there's nothing I could have done about this, this was already prepared. Mm. Just like in the in the Tolstoy quote from Anna Karenina, mm-hmm. that he senses that it's already been prepared mm. within me prior to this moment in time. Mm. I'm disturbed at this moment. So what comes from that is as a faith gets poured into it because it's like ah, I'm okay. Mm. Things are okay. Mm. It's mm. being prepared. So I think the music gives me kind of like that sense of solace, that sense of like. Almost like an arm around a confused teenager's shoulders, as saying, mm. you know, "Look, it's it's there's more to it than this. It's Which bigger is, than this." What's interesting to me is that it's like I feel I um, uh, empathize or just kind of uh, resonate on a line of being that confused teenager. So the fact that something I was creating, there's always in my creative process, I have quite often. A strange relationship with the things I've made because in a way it feels like a how do you say a, a wiser an older it's like an older brother is communicating to me through my songs that things that come out it's like me speaking to myself from a from a wiser perspective or, or not even wiser just like affirmative like encouraging reassuring myself I find a lot of the lyrics that really feel very profound to sing and to like hold in my body as I'm as I'm performing or whatever it might be have that kind of semblance where they almost don't feel like they're from me in a way if you I don't feel like any like authorship from Mm. them um yeah yeah it's interesting also I I mean we we have quite different temperaments and I feel like I already in the way that I introduced the the monologue statement rather than a question but it was setting up this sense of like oppositional perspective and i definitely it's something that's characterized my my experience of definitely my teenage and early 20s and less so now but nonetheless still present like an oppositional sense to the as I said, the the order of the world, the way in which our lives, like sometimes I just feel like this profound sense of tragedy, of like the sense of potential and um, beauty that is suppressed or distorted or just made into, like that quote I was saying that I really love at the moment from Ivan Illich, the corruption of the best is the worst, becomes the worst, is the worst. And across across so many things, and this really manifested when I was 
younger in a like a profound um yeah political engagement with um that sort of like righteous crusade of this is wrong and we can change it we need to change it we we must change it um but what I, it's, I, it's kind of refreshing in a way to, to have that mirrored back to me just in this moment of conversation of actually what you resonated with from the outset was almost the deeper impulse and that very mysterious and interesting aspect of a sense of knowing that actually everything's perfect and everything is as it must be. And people hate this kind of talk often. They get really riled up because they're like, well, you know, the Amazon rainforest is being cut down at yeah. ridiculously alarming rates. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. There's so much kind of hell on earth yeah. happening. How can you, like, on what absurd, disconnected, privileged position can you go, everything is perfect yeah. in the world? I think at the time, first sort of hearing the music, I don't think I would have said in terms of my own life situation, which was fine, but I certainly wouldn't have said, I, I certainly wouldn't have had that kind of Buddha-like, Christ-like approach to my life, like everything's everything's perfect. Of course, I still had um, worries and struggles and periods of sadness and wondering what's going to happen to me, what's going to happen to me. So there was, on one level, the very ordinary struggles of a teenager looking to find his way in the world, which I can connect with on the level you're talking about where the music was emerging from. Mm -hmm. But I think all the while that was happening, again, there was these moments where all of that would kind of fall away. And that, that, and, and that was usually sparked by a variety of different things. So music was one of them, and particularly the music of Wu Life at that time was one of them, which all of those things very quickly dropped away and dissolved, almost in a comical fashion, as if to be like, I was really so so caught up and concerned about these things, but where are they now mm. in the presence mm. of this mm. this almost intoxicated um feeling of wonderment or inspiration mm. or or this this sense of um, the sense of being uplifted mm. um, Can I, uh, just as a thought that's there present as you're saying this that at the time. Well, obviously, with Wu Life eventually burning out quite quickly. Um, in reflection, and maybe this is what I was saying when I was looking through the LIF archives book, putting it together, the realization that where the power always was, was in the nurturing and the inspiration, the joy of that, that like life-affirming flame, that fire, feeding that fire. And where I really soured and became into this very, uh, we were joking about it before because you were asking what, what does it even mean, but black-pilled Duma yeah. outlook was where I didn't put my, the, the attention or the, the focus upon nurturing that flame, that fire. Um, I put it on fixating on the darkness and like, really like being drawn into this sort of void staring into the void at the yeah. you know the desperate plight of the human experiment and like all the frustrations of like we could be so, so life could be so beautiful so within you at that time was it a sense of having this feeling of like wanting to change 
the things outside or was it just wanting to critique them and reject them i guess yeah i mean it never moved beyond like self-indulgent righteous critique but there was the um definitely the the idealist impulse to be a force of change in the world i think one of the things i often i don't know maybe regret but halfway through we maybe had done one tour and i thought after touring like there's so much time sat around it's so boring um i'm gonna i had a place to study international relations in goldsmiths and this real like political engagement but i had passed up on the the opportunity um to to go there to to go and live the rock and roll lifestyle in a in a van touring round and i just decided um I would start studying international relations at the Open University. I looked into the degree. So then I started doing that, which in retrospect was a very... Um, it, so it, it isolated me from the others. Like everybody else was living that life, you know, the, the, the boys in the band, just like enjoying it for what it was. You know, we we're 19, 20, 21. Woo life really was like 20... My, the year of being 20, 1920, and I, it was over by the time I was 20, the year of being 21. But anyway, they would be like doing whatever, drinking, chatting with people. And I'd literally, on so many times, be sat in the backstage reading a textbook, writing an essay. And it, <laughs> I, I didn't even finish the degree, like after Wu Life fell to pieces, and I just was in a very, very dark place mentally. So I quit the degree and, and just let go of it. So it was just, it was just one of those things where, was, again, it was, it, it was like I really need to cultivate myself in, the, in, in such a way that I can be effective and I really understand economics and I really understand the geopolitical situation and why this and why this. And the more I understood about it, the more like it felt like a monolith, like unapproachable complications like a very, very complex, delicate world. And, you know, maybe also gave me a more respect for it that it actually manages to not completely implode. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yes, yeah, so that was definitely there. Yeah, well, to go to, to kind of comment on it and to go back to my beloved Leo Tolstoy, <laughs> he once made the famous quote, well, people think he said it, it could have been anyone because it's one of those generic uh, wise sayings that mm, gets repeated potentially often. said by yoda yeah potentially said by yoda or or or, or the buddha or any any monk <laughs> you, you you would like to choose um and he said uh, everyone uh, everyone thinks about changing the world but nobody nobody wants to change themselves mm. and i think there's actually something of course it just on the surface it sounds like oh that's a nice quote i'm going to write that down and make it my screensaver on my laptop but if you go into that quote a little bit it's actually very, um, very explanatory of of the situations we find ourselves in and the worldviews we seem to have, particularly around that 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 stage in our lives when we're still kind of figuring things out and we can maybe take on this messiah complex where mm. we feel like oh, I know, I mm. know now. Oh yeah, I see for sure. And it's very easy to stand on top of one's mountain that they've constructed for themselves. 
and look around the world and point out all the problems and scream down? Mm. Are you willing to travel down that mountain and actually go on hands on, mm. do some of that, do some of that, um, mm. do, do the work and mm. help? Mm. And to me, that would be the that would be that shift from telling the world how messed up it is and how much it needs to be changed and the people in your life and and essentially just um, holding everyone up against a standard that you've constructed in your mind of how things should be and when the world around you doesn't match it sort of berating it sure are you willing to come down from your pedestal yeah yeah, yeah. come down and and recognize that you can be part of a of a moving changing process if you're willing to almost put yourself aside for a moment and listen to other people and engage and meet the world as it is and mm. not as you want it to be mm, mm, yeah. mm. which is um essentially my whole process since Wu life and lost under heaven that um tolstoy or yoda quote yeah. um <laughs> Is that realization essentially is that I, I fortunately, in some ways, quickly understood the uh, self-righteous Messiah complex that I was I was uh, developing, um, and my lack of kind of inner coherence, and um, yeah, yeah, I think there was something that when it's one of the beautiful things about youth is that self-assurance. Um, that's potentially there. And I, again, I had sort of the relatively unusual experience in the scope of people's life experiences, whereas most people go to university and learn something when they're that age. And I was doing loads of interviews of people asking me my opinion on, because I had expressed interest in things like Occupy Wall Street and had talked about things like this. Yeah you know, questions about stuff that I hadn't any, I'd read a bunch of books and had like, a, you know, uh, Guy Debord as like an icon of like uh, assessment of these, these things, a society of spectacle. But what, what was, I also found very telling and interesting when I first started Wu Life, I was much more like making these like flame, flamethrower statements, blah, blah, blah. And towards the end before I quit and it became this like almost trigger thing that would really bug me but I couldn't stop saying I don't know and someone asked me something and I'd go I don't know it's like this I don't know it's like this and I was just like stop saying I don't know stop saying like just at least say something that isn't I don't know but it was like obviously a very profound thing for myself it was like I have no idea what I'm talking about I'm just yeah. I'm just like launching grenades and and not really understanding the consequence or the meaning of what i'm saying so yeah so the whole um there's a kind of maybe three years where lost under heaven was developing but i was just sort of in a kind of a lostness like uh i had the relationship with ebony was kind of my my solace my escape yeah. and uh, i think that very much characterized the first album we made with lost under heaven was very much this like escaping like we'll sail away from this town's darkness you've fucked up the world but you won't fuck with me it's yeah. like a, an other escape um but the moment i've been brought into and the journey of life experiences brought into creating the recent record um has been so much of actually just like 
engaging in a very, very, um, it's like that edifice of separateness has slowly crumbled and dissolved. And you see how interrelated and relational everything is. Um, and maybe trying to bring some kind of, um, yeah, affirmative, positive energy to the world is much more valuable than trying to break it down to, to yeah. deconstruct it. Um, so would you say during that period of time between uh, kind of the the older bands splitting up, meeting Ebony and then moving into the kind of Lost Under Heaven project and even in the first year or two of the project, would you say you are still kind of caught in two worlds? There was still the lingering, the lingering sort of remnants of what was what had sort of broken down mm. uh, in your early 20s and then maybe moving into the mid twenties, there was kind of an emergence of something new, like a new shore being presented or a new pathway being opened. And you were still kind of caught between caught kind of choosing which way to, and, and, and how to sort of, how to step into this, mm. this mm. new way of being. And mm. maybe it's the challenges that brings about as well. Completely. The sense of a spiritual unfoldment or spiritual awakening or just a presence of something beyond that material experience, everyday experience, was something that, I mean, there's a story that I've wanted to, a story, an experience, a kind of formative experience in my life that I had as a teenager that I've never really discussed uh, publicly or openly, that I've kind of always had, is very, very important for me in my worldview but I repressed it as an experience or didn't really like sit with it and experience. It's only in the past year that it's actually something I've um, contended with. But basically what I'm saying, during the whole Wu life moment, I was a materialist, atheist, sort of. Um, despite having that was like the dominant intellectual paradigm that I put myself in. And despite having um, experiences within that sat as outliers to that framework, um, that worldview, that's how I, I characterize myself. But meeting Ebony and Ebony having a very um, just soulful temperament, sort of nurtured maybe provided a, a feeling of safety that allowed a I stopped feeling like I needed to be a tough person to survive in the world at least in the in the intimacies of our relationship like a soul life started to blossom or come forth um in a way that wasn't um acknowledged before but interestingly it was present in this this yearning that you kind of characterize as what like that yearning that sense of like even the the kind of the the woo life hit heavy pop having that phrase of i want to feel at home yeah. or i want to feel at home that sense of at home obviously it's very generic kind of secular language isn't at all sort of spiritually aligned language but that profound feeling of 
peaceful fulfillment yeah. and goodness, which is how I would characterize feeling at home, yeah. is, at least in my understanding, of kind of a primary tenant of the spiritual path and yearning. Yeah, so beneath the surface of one's life, um, whether they have recognized it yet or not, there is a there is a life-sustaining presence that is carrying th carrying you through all of your um, different outer experiences in your life. So it seems like at that time you you would you would, th th there was kind of like a an ability for you to connect with that place and bring something through maybe a mysterious process where something would come through and what can happen and what may perhaps happen with you is then you believe i did that mm -hmm. me the person yeah the Ellery, I, I i did that and then what that seems to do is is it is it consolidates even greater the identity of me mm. as a person in the world who is capable of these things mm -hmm. Mm. And so that that essentially, to me, blocks the blocks the potential to to investigate into this kind of deep pool of where inspiration, beauty, mm. love, energy mm. comes from within ourselves. Um, it tends to be blocked by too much too much fixation on the separate self, mm. too much fi mm. fixation on the body, and too much or just like this uh, attachment completely yeah. like that sense of there is no yeah this is something i'm really really it's like uh, fascination as a topic of me mine um i've been reading into the like the notions of genius in its kind of origin and then obviously this time we live now with like the kanye i'm a genius i'm a genius it's true um well yeah yeah well no but i'd say he is a profound channel transmission of genius so the old idea of the original greek notion of genius was like this notion of a daemon was holy guardian angel was like a spirit that acted through you and you would be in relationship with but it wasn't like here is me doing my thing it is it is moving through me so in that way you relate to it differently. Whereas if you claim it and you hold on to it and you, yeah. you, you hold it with a tightness, that's where you also need to defend it because it's yours and you yeah. need to really, it, it's all this like, um, um, what's that? Like the clenching of a fist rather than the releasing of a yeah. hand. Yeah. Um, yeah, an area of real fascination and, and, um, and my experience of, as we kind of spoke just before, but my experience of, essentially the things that I consider the best or the good parts of my work that's being recorded, I have this strange relationship with that they just feel like they came through. Like it, it didn't feel like a labor or, a, you know, maybe there was some craft in actually getting it there and being ready to transmit it, but it didn't feel like it's mine. Yeah. Um, so I think that, that these moments of genius like um, flash through many people who maybe write stories or create music or create works of art or even just people who um people people who do any kind of any kind of creative discipline or even maybe just beyond creative disciplines in just ordinary life there can be these almost lightning bolt moments where you really do feel like something has some, some something 
something beyond the potency and power as to which I believed I was capable has just arrived through and produced something almost I didn't feel like I participated too much in the creation and I'm unsure if I could have even done that mm. now in retrospect looking back how did that happen mm. how did that come about if you then hold on to the person of I did that then actually you're I believe blocking the potential for that power to be recognized in your ordinary day-to-day lived experience mm. which i believe what the the spiritual life is all about it's recognizing that there's some there's some unseen uh unseen power or force or or presence or you know or whatever word you would like to attribute to it it's 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 there in life and then there becomes like a, a change of heart, a, a change of mind to go, okay, that doesn't belong to me, but it is present. Mm-hmm. And now I trust it and have faith in it enough that I now want to dedicate my life towards bringing through that mm-hmm. sense in my daily, ordinary, uh, ordinary, plain and simple life as much as possible, which can lead to any, anything simply like how you how you make a cup of tea mm. in the morning, how you engage with people in your life. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is through the, through the music, there's that sense that it exists and that's undeniable sense that some power moved through you in that mm. moment. Which I only came to see in retrospect. Yeah. Because at that time, particularly, it took years, probably only in the past, even like... 18 months has it become really something that's become very very clear in my mind that's what I was relating with and doing at the time and the first Lost Under Heaven records I I just kind of took it for granted you know it was just like this is this is my talent this is what I can do um but I've been reading this uh, really fantastic book from Rick Rubin recently it's called The Creative Act A Way of Being it's He's been, you know, doing lots of uh, podcasts and talking. He's a profound and fascinating person. But this book really articulates it very, very well that, you know, that sense of the creative act is held by everybody. People who dedicate themselves to the creation of art, music, um, literature, something where it's actively engaged, maybe have a more disciplined relationship with it in that guise creativity but as you said i feel it's fundamental to being a a human participating in creation um and therefore it is like the spiritual practice the spiritual dynamic is relating with that ephemeral presence that you can't deny you know it so intimately and it's been there throughout your life and even the most sort of um flag flying atheist whatever relates to it in different language they don't potentially use spiritualized language but they you know people say like that job was soul destroying well what does that mean yeah like what what part of you is was being destroyed by doing that job yeah um because we don't really give weight to such statements. We utter these things and then move on mm. without thinking. So what does that actually mean? Because it has a potent meaning yeah. if you look into it. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And I think this is so like that divine, like that was the, the, 
the blue spark on something is announced by your life that we've used as like the the album artwork that's something that both me and ebony ebony sh shared this really beautiful piece of text that she had um written i think that was articulating that spark the sort of the soul essence the divine spark in each person and that's the what is announced by your life and the thing that i love about this older understanding of genius also is it's like that genius the genius is like the soul the soul friend i've also been looking there's a very nice book that i think you'll love this guy he's an irish writer called john o'donohue i think and he has a book called anamkara which is about celtic uh christianity from a celtic perspective or celtic christianity but yeah the anamkara is this sense of a soul friend which can be a personal connection um in, in the sort of like the human realm but it's also this relationship with that with that soul dimension of you um why was I, I was saying something about the genius yes yeah, so what is announced by your life something is announced by your life is the sense that there is something unique within you that is seeking expression in the world through your presence hence you being here yeah. um and yeah, sorry, I, we're not really uh, tying these into questions. It's just like <laughs> swapping statements, it's but it's, it's, it's all good. So if you have anything to uh, um, to follow on from that. <laughs> Apple break. Yeah. Make an edit. Cool. <laughs> well, I think when we, when we come back to it, been gone nearly an hour already 50 minutes wow. so i think after that last statement maybe then we just move on to some kind of conclusion yeah i don't know how we want to because no it's a could, good point could, though. talk and talk and then it's like we need to sort of have something to aim towards i feel like i do i can't believe it's been an hour yeah. i thought maybe 30 minutes no but it's been it's been pretty good i feel like. well, i think start of many yeah beginning of many because we've we had all these points i think we've we've pretty much sat on that first one yeah new life and just the next step and we've never we yeah, haven't yeah, gone beyond that very true because you're too frightened to mention jesus and christianity <laughs> um but yeah i think based on the list you've got that's probably about six yeah podcasts i imagine yeah one on each it's true it's true it's a series um yeah I think it feels good. So, so what do you think we should? Um, well, we ended on the point about. We should probably just leave this audio in here, the discussion that we've just had. Do you think? Yeah, people can hear me crunching apple. I, I quite like leaving the podcast quite um, raw. You know, I, for me personally, like I like to hear. It's like we talked about before of that uh, Ivan Illich book that I was saying that it was it's a um, many conversations that have taken um shape over a period of time and have refined themselves yeah. and being invited into the intimacy of that uh growth of thought i find very profound yeah. and very interesting rather than being like and here's the conclusion bop yeah it's like the inquiry is yeah. what's interesting because ultimately we're we're speaking as we often do when we're together and it's often maybe begin on a on, on a surface level of things going on in our lives and things we're currently feeling 
But ultimately, the conversations always seem to naturally are steered towards investigating perhaps the deepest mysteries in our own lives mm -hmm. as individuals mm -hmm. and in life in general as two people who have come together and who mm -hmm. witness and perceive a world uh, a world beyond them uh, beyond their selves mm -hmm. and once you start walking into that territory uh, it becomes an exciting exciting thing to investigate but ultimately very difficult to find any kind of conclusion sure, to it sure. so to to aim for such thing mm. in a conversation like this mm. would i think almost feel it would almost be not honoring yeah the honoring the sense of uh, honest open innocent mm. exploration mm. Mm. Uh, towards life yeah itself, completely completely yeah i think that's a beautiful thing that we can sort of conclude around with this conversation is the sense of yeah as i was saying before um i've r tried writing on these themes and particular experiences and as i said i sort of suddenly realized am i just trying to write a memoir you know a memoir at the age of 32 <laughs> uh, an inconclusive memoir but there's like like I alluded to before, um, but this very profound near-death experience of nearly drowning when I was 14 yeah. has really, and the insights of that experience that have only really come to the surface through doing embodiment, uh, depth psychology work over the past 18 months with a, uh, a mentor, with a, a therapist, essentially. Uh, all the all of that that's come forth has has such potency and impact in the way that I've experienced the unfoldment of my life. And I have the desire to like discuss it, but it's also in, in intensely intimate and also maybe very subjective. Whereas I think it's like, you know, it's the gold of my soul to another. Maybe it's just, it, it doesn't resonate on the same level. But the, um, I guess to leave a, you know, the, the, um, <laughs> the dot, 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 dot cliffhanger of a podcast, tune in for round two <laughs> next time we can uh, get together, but is the profound knowingness of God, of the transcendent, not that it is a, um, you know, a concept that I believe in because I've read books and I have a correct way of um, speaking about it. And it's, it's, it's like that young quote where it's like, I don't believe in God, I, I know God. Yeah. I know. And that was also the inspiration for the lyric and Get Spooky, where it, the end kind of chorus, um, they say that we've changed to a people that know like I like the bluntness of to yeah. a people that know so let the light inside of thee burn mm -hmm. as bright as wherever it goes um yeah and that's kind of the we I feel we have a shared understanding and sensibility on these topics and this is where often our conversations are like circle around more so than anyone else I know it's like I feel like a uh a closeness and a comfortable kind of mirroring of, of experience and conversation. 
around that that like central theme yeah. which is why i wanted when i invited you to have these conversations in the first place is like as an opportunity for me to be able to allow that to come out in a way yeah i think to to speak about and to share our own unique experiences of this this dimension of our lives this presence of something is in a sense to then come and have a conversation about it is to honor it in some way mm. um it's a difficult thing to speak yeah. about but to speak about it is to honor its presence in your life and to ultimately do something about it yeah. it's almost inviting you like i give you this you know you've, you've you've become aware of this now 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 explore it like bring it into the bring it into the activity of your life in some way completely, and completely. what better way to do that with in 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 conversation with a with a with a a close friend who can mirror some of that experience mm. and also bring bring new new uh, new ways of seeing new ways yeah, of completely. looking that you might have not realized yourself given your own unique um you, your own unique ways in which these things manifest and unfold in your life so i think the value of attempting and doing our best to talk about these things is ultimately to to honor the presence of it in mm -hmm. in our own lives and also recognizing it in the life of your friend as well mm -hmm. yeah completely i think a, an interesting experience i've had over the past is really since 2019 2020 that such profound um shifts have really felt like they've taken place and there's a whole sequence of like significant personal events that have kind of um opened it's like each one's opened a been a key that's opened a door to the many many rooms in the mansion um but the most like significant theme around them is this realization of all that i had been denying and repressing and not allowing to come forth um that almost in the initial moment has like it's uh it's oppo the, the opposing like almost evangelical desire to be like like running down from the mountaintops being like people do you not realize do yeah. you not see this yeah, very much like jesus leaving the desert almost well one into yeah right <laughs> no I, I wouldn't say quite like uh, a little bit more um uh, yeah uh, less penetrating insight as coming out of the desert but nonetheless like uh, that evangelical desire to there's i mean uh, one of the things uh, we've rolled on past an hour but it doesn't matter you know people have like nine hour podcasts these days True. we can we can have an hour and 10 minutes um what is i gonna say there was something then and i i i lost it coming down the mountain evangelical sense evangelical oh yeah well the conflicting feelings of wanting to put myself out there it almost feels like coming out the closet you know like having like a desire to be like i want to be seen in the fullness of my being and the yeah. truth of my being but knowing that my family is basically where my atheistic sort of imprint early years very socialist very politically engaged and the most like like talking about these kind of themes with my parents my mother um more so my mother but 
there's like a real reluctance to because I don't, it's a strange thing because I know that there's an, an, a definite unconditional love there but mm. for something particularly in the territory of like Christian language to to approach these things because I do feel it is a universal appearance of creation and life but there's yeah. different language and something we both connect over is yeah. the understanding of like a Christian mysticism could you say that allows entry or language to discuss these things that that uh, resonates very strongly yes. um yeah i don't i don't need to say yeah, any more than that was, for, for me it was kind of having um having had all of the experiences throughout like teenage years and 20s that i've talked about earlier on in this discussion it was to then come round through, again, th through kind of the portal of Leo Tolstoy introducing me back into these uh, ideas from the Gospels, specifically mm. the Gospels. Can I just say, not to disturb your flow, yeah. but I think when we first got talking, like properly, it was that we both had read Tolstoy's Gospels. And that was something yeah. that I was like, wow, this guy, Lewis, he's read that book. Yeah. Like, that yeah, yeah, gave yeah. me a real like sense of d desire Absolutely. to deepen yeah yeah not only had i read that book it it was it was the most it was the most impactful book i had ever mm -hmm. read in mm -hmm. my life and remains it and remains a book that's always on my my coffee table mm -hmm. in my apartment at all times it's always there and essentially i realized that these it, it it put a very beautiful relatable language to the experiences that i had been knowing but not yet able to communicate it's often been this way with with music and then with this this book by Leo Tolstoy it was like they're speaking about the thing that I I intuit I, yeah that, that that I know is there but I've never been able to communicate myself yeah, yeah. so that 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 really meant that I poured myself into this into this book and realized that it was not speaking about ideas or beliefs it was speaking about my life and life itself mm -hmm. and that was to me in school listening to the the priest come in and sing all of the the hymns that was the only sort of uh, that was the only exposure i had had of anything christian and mm. i always found it well there's nothing there yeah well there's again nothing that, there. it's the, a bunch of songs and a bunch <laughs> of uh, a bunch of uh, rituals i do love some christian hymns well, yeah yeah it's but, nice. uh, again it's like that quote the 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 corruption of the best is the worst yeah. um i forget her name now but there was a really nice podcast with paul kingsnorth this writer that I was talking to you about yesterday. Um, but she made this really interesting thing that we, they were talking about in the con context of like um, vaccinations and just sort of like the technocratic society, da, 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 da. But they were talking about Christianity, that it's like we've, we in England have almost been inoculated against the power of potency of Christianity by having a very diluted sort of primary colors form taught to us as kids and we've been like, this is like the people telling me this don't even believe it let alone like well, i don't believe this yeah. so therefore we throw the baby out with the best bath yeah bath bath bathwater. um and uh you know and for me is like my first pathway into spiritual perspectives was through uh like vedantic um hindu uh tantra like kashmir shaivism yeah and in 2019, I found this book, The Tantric Jesus, where somebody had like done this assessment of early Christianity and the teachings of Jesus in perspective of like true tantra, not just like kinky Western sex 
tips, like the actual understanding of Tantra. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, there's so much that we can delve into and yeah. conversate on. So let's... Um, I, think, I think we're hitting the, the outskirts and the boundaries of something that probably requires its own dedicated conversation yeah 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 for sure yeah. well it's uh been a beautiful start yeah thanks for coming over and my doing pleasure this. my pleasure thank you for having me yeah. always always and um yeah I'll, I'll finish with a brief story lewis brought back from armenia uh duduk that he has given to ebony and myself but more so ebony and um you may well be hearing the sweet sound of a duduk in uh, <laughs> in future podcasts. I'll begin it with it. Like, let, me, let me set the tone with a, a duduk. Absolutely. Uh, Syed Nova, the king of songs. <laughs> the, uh, let me be an a, a empty reed so the, uh, the yeah. music can be played through me. Um, yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Shouts out to all the people at home and in the world. And what's the thing that you always say at the end of podcast? If you want to become a patron, support, um, share with your friends, family, it's all appreciated because, you know, we all got bills to pay. Much love, much love, much love, much love, much love, much love, much love.